today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. The question, is anything up there? Is anything out there? Is there something like us yet beyond us, more than us? That's been asked in millions of different ways by people all through history. Is there life in the house of life? The truth is, everyone wonders if there's something greater than us out there. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message as anybody up there and shows you that not only is there a great and mighty God, but He wants a relationship with you. So stick around, we're getting started in a minute. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Is Anybody Up There? The question, Is anything up there? Is anything out there? Is there something like us yet beyond us, more than us? That's been asked in millions of different ways by people all through history. Is there another? Is there life in the house of life? G. Studdard Kennedy, one of the great men of the last generation, tells of a moment in his life when he was out by the sea on a moor. It was night and all he could hear was the crashing of the waves on the cliff. And he looked up in the starry heavens, a myriad of stars, and he said he felt a presence. He felt an another there, and, and he said he wanted to shout, who goes there? But he said, I was afraid. I didn't know, but I knew this presence was there. He said, I felt like that again when I was in no man's land during the war and I was in a trench between the lines. He said, I saw a shadowy figure moving and I wanted to ask, who goes there? And he said, if I did that, I did not know if I would be answered with a bullet or the reply of a friend was silence. But he said, there by the sea at that moor, I got my guts up and I got courageous enough and I shouted out, who goes there? And he said, I received an answer that absolutely changed my life. I had a similar experience 
freshman, University of Alabama, walked out 2.15 in the morning and was an old stump out there, the side of an athletic field. And I looked up into the heavens, seated there, and I said, God, are you there? And he answered, and I stood, and I never doubted the presence of the living God at that moment, that transitional moment in my life. It changed everything. Who goes there? Who goes there? An officer was wounded. He was in the hospital, and a young chaplain went to see him, and he began to speak with him, and the severely wounded man says, Padre, I want to ask you a question. What is God like? He said, when I go to a new battalion, the first thing I ask the people there, what is the colonel like? And he said, God Almighty is the colonel of all of humanity. And Padre, I want you to tell me, what is God like? Big question. People have asked it through the ages. And then we have Jesus. Jesus, who goes there? And his answer, Father, Father. A personal answer. You say, well, that's a human word. By the way, that's all we have until angels come and write some other kind of supernatural dictionary. All we have is human words. And ask Jesus, who goes there? He said, Father. Now, some of us may have a problem with that. Depends on what kind of dad, what kind of father you had, what kind of father I had. I've got a problem with it in some ways. From my I was a child all the way through approaching adolescence, my dad and I were buddies, pals. I was with him wherever he went. We were close and he played with me. He built things for me. We worked together. But when adolescence came, something happened. I don't know what it was. And my father moved away from me. He was as generous as he could be, but the relationship was broken. Totally severed, and it was severed all the way through until he left this earth. I don't know what happened. There's a problem with a lot of people. God is like a father. Someone said, I certainly hope not. But it is a father who was like the father of the prodigal. The father of a prodigal was a Motherly father. Did you know that? We see the feminine characteristic in God. In those days, you remember when the prodigal decided to come home. In those days, the father would sit at home. He'd wait for that prodigal to come back and beg for forgiveness. And the mother would run out and meet the prodigal coming back. But in this son, it was the father who ran to meet that returning Son, and the father went out, and the father who said, put a robe on him, shoes, a ring, kill the fatted calf, 
He's dead. He's alive. He's lost. He's found. That would be what a mother would do in kissing that son as the prodigal's father did. And so, therefore, we have in the role of the father there a motherly father. Oh, that, that's the picture of God, the picture we have here. In Luke chapter 11, the hero is not the prodigal son. We saw the parable of the prodigal son. No, it's the father. It's the father. The hero was a shepherd. The hero was a woman. Shepherd find the sheep, woman going. Father going out when he saw that son, when he was yet a great way off, he ran. That is a beautiful picture of how God operates in your life and my life. He sees us coming home to him. He will run to meet you every single time. Our father. I must be about my father's business. The Lord God Almighty Father, the creed says. So we see that God is like a father, and then we understand something about a father in that God as father sometimes is lonely, sometimes gets lonesome. That happened to the prodigal. That certainly happened to the prodigal's relationship with his dad when he gathered all his stuff and took his inheritance and left. I can assure you that father was lonesome. He wanted a relationship with the son. And anybody here who's a father, you understand that. Your kids grow up and they leave and they go to the army, they go to college and they suddenly you were close to them and now there's this little girl and man, she takes priority over you, dad. I don't care what you think. And then all you see, they're friends and and there's activities and there's interest and all of a sudden the kids begin to grow up and move away and have new thoughts and new ideas. By the way, that's the way it should be. That's what we do as parents. By the same token, we miss them. We'd like to keep them there, you know, all the time under our wings, under our authority, under our, our provisions. That, that's, that, that's a father. One terrific thing about having special children, greatly challenged families, but having special children, so many times they stay children, and that, that in and of itself can be a beautiful thing. Father. We never think about God being lonely for us, but he is, because he made us to have fellowship with him. And we're equipped to have fellowship with the almighty Father, and when we do not Engage in that fellowship. God gets lonely. And suddenly we feel a distance from God and God feels a distance from us. And that distance sometimes grows greater and greater and greater. A few years back in Copenhagen, they, were, they put together an astronomical clock. This clock had 10 faces. It had over... 15,000 working parts. It has the ability to coordinate for 25,000 years, the seconds, the days, the hours, the months, the years, all in harmony with the movement of all the planets and moons in the solar system. Quite an accomplishment. It cost over a million dollars. Took over 40 years to build. 
But in this astronomical clock, it keeps accurate time up to two-fifths of a second it uses every 300 years. Man, how inaccurate is that? <laughs> Think about it. It loses two-fifths of a second every 300 years. Some parts of that clock will not even function or move until 25,000 years in the future. But how do they know? How do they know it'll lose two-fifths of a second every 300 years? What do they measure it by? The clock that God has created in the sun, the moon, the stars, and the rhythm of the universe that keeps perfect time forever. And it was when the scientists and the scholars realized the, the harmony of the universe that they began to say, this is God. This is God. And therefore, there came a distance there, and you have deism coming to be. God took this world, created it, rounded it up, and threw it out into space and says, you're on your own, guys. But there is a loneliness there in distance as human fathers, and we can feel loneliness when we think God is nothing but a big mechanical machine. The Father God gets lonely, gets lonely. Also, the Father God not only gets lonely, but the, but the Father God gets disappointed. Uh, just like we look at our children and we let them go and give them rope and, and we see they make poor choices, poor decisions, and we bring them back in and we give them rope and they make some good choices and then they make some poor decisions and, and we get disappointed, do we not? We see what could have been, what should have been, what ought to have been. We ask ourselves, what did I do wrong? Where did I mess up? Uh, was I too aggressive, too passive? We see there's a disappointment with God, even with you and with me. He sees us make all the moves in life. How many times did I move this way and I should have moved that way and I, I said this and I should have been silent? You see, God gets disappointed. He has sorrow when your life and my life isn't productive. He said, I've come, you might have life, and you might have it abundantly, overflowing. How do we miss that? We might have joy, meaning, significance, value. Uh, be creative, move out. How do we miss that? Certainly, God gets disappointed. A lot of fathers and mothers get disappointed. Say, man, man, if they'd only made this choice, if they hadn't, hadn't chose this person for a friend, if they hadn't married this one, and we get disappointed. God gets disappointed in us. And behind all this, Father, also this God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. A lot of people think, well, God can do anything. Do you really believe that? That's not true. God cannot do anything because God has limited himself when he brought life to you and life to me because we have the ability to choose. He limited himself. He says the most important thing is for all of creation to be free. We're not puppets. He doesn't say, do, 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 do. This is what you do. Do, 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 do. This is how you think. 
He wanted us to have a relationship with him that would be voluntarily. It would be free. It would be as he would lead us, as we'd speak. And you take away that free moral agent, the ability to choose, and you take away life. So well, why doesn't God just wipe out all the evil? Why doesn't God heal everybody who's ill? It's because God doesn't violate that most thing that makes you human, and that is the ability to choose to be a free person. You wouldn't want a child like this. You dictate to them. You could feed thoughts into them and they'd be ever so perfect and do everything you want. You would want a child who would have the freedom to love and to relate and to understand and to be in harmony with you. So did God Almighty, ladies and gentlemen, but he is a powerful God. And that is the almightiness of the Father. I believe in God, the Father, the Lord God Almighty, says the creed. Almighty. We talk about power, we talk about the cross. That's so confusing. I dare say I could go around this room and stand you up and say, tell me there's power in the cross. Oh, yes, there's power in the cross. Tell me why the cross is so powerful. Hello? I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. What in the world does that mean? We need to understand that. First of all, we better define power. Power is the ability to accomplish purpose. Got it? If you have the ability to accomplish purpose, you have power. What is God's purpose? What does he want to accomplish with your life and my life? Number one. He wants us to be saved. I like the word salvaged. He wants you and me to be restored for the purpose for which we were made, number one. Number two, he wants you and me to have a, a clean heart, a new heart, a new heart to make good choices. And he wants us also to be able to say, not my will, but thy will be done. He wants us to understand that God's way is better than your way or my way. And how stubborn and slow we are to pick up on that. Well, God, I know you'll heal this one. Oh, I know you'll do this. I know you'll do that. No, his will is always better, greater than our will. And that's the reason we look to the cross and say it is the power of God. Jesus came in the world who is Jesus? Well, he's the son of God. He's the incarnation. He is God with skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. And therefore, we talk about the power of the cross. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter number one. Let's see why the cross, how the cross is the power of God. We've been singing about it talking about it, hearing it, do we understand it? It's profound. Paul writing, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, salvaged, it is the power of God. There it is. The cross is the power of God. Now look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? 
Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, listen. For the Jews requested a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Okay. Jesus is God with human flesh on. To prove that to the Greeks, had to use wisdom. Greek or Roman world, they wanted to use intelligence. They wanted to use wisdom, rational thinking. That's what the Greeks, the Romans, therefore, were all about. You convinced me with wisdom, Jesus, that you are indeed God incarnate. And he did some of that in his teachings, did he not? How profound the teaching of Jesus, wisdom. But they weren't convinced. Now, the Jews convinced them, I need a sign. Look at the Old Testament. It's full of signs. The Old Testament is full of power of God, the miracles of God. It's full of signs. And they said, perform some miracles, more miracles, Jesus, and we'll believe. That's what the Jews wanted, to believe. But Paul says, the real power of God is seen in the cross. What is the cross? The cross gave through Jesus the ability and the way in which the purpose of God will be fulfilled in your life and in my life. You see that? Remember what we said? Power is the ability to fulfill purpose. And we said exactly what the purpose of God is to get you and me right with him. How in the world do we get right with him? It takes the cross because all the trash in your life and my life is put on that cross and he died, he bled, he was crucified and therefore now you and I can talk with God and God can talk with us. You can't pray anytime you want to pray. Some of us say, well, I want to ask God to help me here, guide me here. I'll get a good medical report. I'm a, oh, no. If there's sin in your life and in my life, living, ongoing sin, anytime you go to God, he's going to say, wait, wait a minute, Bill. Wait a minute, Alice. Let's talk about this thing. Get this worked out. Then we can talk. Then I'll listen. Then I'll work. And this is what this is all about. The cross. Jesus satisfies the justice of God and demonstrates the love of God in that he died on the cross so we can get right through to God. That's the only way. And therefore, that's the power of God to operate in your life and to operate in my life. And it was nailed down at Easter. If anybody had any doubt about what was going on. And so we see the very power of God. Power restrained. Aren't you glad God is patient with you and me? <laughs> I sure am. My goodness, he's long-suffering is a good biblical word for it. He's patient. He waits like the father, the prodigal, waited, 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 waited until there was that breakthrough, and he ran. A running God. He ran to greet and to restore and to forgive 
That's so very, very important. Marjorie Rollins wrote a tremendous little book. It's called The Yearling Classic. Its book is about a primitive tribe, a group of people who lived down in the darkness of a Florida swamp. I mean, they barely eked out a living. They had virtually no con contact with the outside world. They were really swamp people. Ignorant people, but good people. Lived this on the ragged edge of existence. And Rawlings writes about this group of people and she describes sort of the head of the clan. There was a guy named Penny, a father. And Penny sort of superintended everybody else in that little village in the middle of that swamp. And also in that village, there was a pitiful, pitiful young guy called Fodderwing. Fodderwing was born crippled. His, he was, his mind did not function. He was very, very simplistic. But Fodderwing was a part of the community there, and Fodderwing had one unusual thing. All the animals and creatures felt completely at home with him. It was a beautiful thing to see. But Fodderwing died, and Rawlings pictures Fodderwing in that little wooden casket open. All the community gathered around and they don't know what to say, but you know, when somebody dies, have you noticed everybody begins to think about God? Is that, that you know, isn't it amazing? We just sort of cruise along, but boy, do you let death come and whoa, we want to think about God. And that was true of those backward primitive people down in the middle of that swamp. And so they looked at Penny and said, Penny, you know something about Christian stuff. Here's Father Wing, why don't you say a word? And so Penny went up there in his almost illiterate way and stood over that casket, lifted up his hand, and prayed this prayer. Oh, Lord, almighty God, it ain't for us ignorant mortals to say what's right and what's wrong. Was every one of us to be a doing of it? We'd not have brung this poor boy into the world a cripple and his mind touched. We'd have brought him in straight and tall like his brothers, fitting to live and work and do, but in a way of speaking, Lord, you done made it up to him. You gave him away with wild critters. You gave him a sort of wisdom that made him knowing and gentle. The birds come to him and the varmints move free about him. And like as not, he could have taken a she-wildcat right into his pole-quisted hands. Now, you've done seed fit to take him where being crookedly in mind or limb don't matter. But Lord, it pleasures us to think now you've done straightened out them legs and that pole bent back and then hands. It pleasures us to think of him a moving and around as easy as every one of us. And Lord, give him a few red birds and maybe a squirrel or a coon and a possum to keep him company like he had here. 
and all of us is somehow lonesome. And we know he'd not be lonesome do we have them little wild things around him. If it ain't asking too much to put a poo varmints in heaven, thou will be done. Amen. I've asked and you've asked a lot of absolutely silly questions. Will I know my family in heaven? Will I have a husband in heaven? Will I have to sing in the choir in heaven? <laughs> will I be an angel in heaven? What will I do in heaven? With all the sickness be gone in heaven, will I have a clear mind? Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a flash for you. Heaven, based on the faithfulness of God, is going to be more than we can understand with our pitiful, finite minds, hearts, and passions. Don't worry about anything. It is absolutely beyond silly and beyond ridiculous because the God we know and worship through Jesus Christ, we can be confident. We can put our full trust and wait down upon him because he is what Jesus said, Father. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, you said God gives us a new heart, a clean heart, why is it then that so many Christians continue to struggle with the same sins and temptations? You know, we all do. We struggle with the same sins and the same temptations. The way you overcome temptation is to let something be in your life that's stronger than that temptation. In other words, the old story of, was it Ulysses, who was out at sea, and, and they went by the island of Sirens, and they had these beautiful siren calls uh, personified in the, in the legend there of, of female figures, and so many people had turned their boats there to hear these sweet songs sung by these sensual females. And that destroyed many a captain, many a, many a boat, uh, many people, until finally when one was going by, I think it was Ulysses himself, and he came to the song of sirens that had destroyed so many, and he covered his ears. But then he figured out a better way. He produced songs that were sweeter and more beautiful than the temptation. The way you overcome temptation is to not say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try harder. That doesn't work with me. You have to have something that's better and beyond and more beautiful and more captivating than that. The way you break bad habits is to put good habits in their place. I think that's the biblical way to resist the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. 
You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Now, it's great to have Dr. Young right here in the studio to answer a couple of questions today. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.